What's going on, everybody? This is Big McEnroe, a.k.a. Rod Bailey, and this is the Peanuts and Corn Podcast for 2021. This is the Brandon series. This is episode three of the Brandon Podcast, and we are once again hosted by UGS Mag, so thank you to UGS Mag for hosting and spreading the good word. Thank you for so much for listening. And this episode is about... Well, once again, we have some additional songs to play from the Mac, Big Mac and Row Brandon record. Three more songs from the record. And my guest today, I'm really excited to have had this great conversation with Stefan Goulet, who um, I grew up with in Brandon and who went on to move to Winnipeg and finally to Vancouver and has had a long, illustrious career in helping with skateboarding. He ran a skate shop. He organized a lot of skate contests, demos, and a lot of stuff that made skateboarding possible in Brandon and Winnipeg. Um, he toured with Propaganda at one point and has been in the music scene for a very long time and very supportive to local bands. And so really excited to be able to catch up with him once again and to talk about Brandon in the time frame of this record, which is kind of the 87 to 90 kind of time frame. And we talk about skateboarding in Brandon, about trading music and about... Um, the infamous Spine and Grind, we'll talk a little bit about that, although there's a lot more to be said and maybe a future sort of podcast about um, the legendary skate park in Brandon, Manitoba that had a very brief time on the planet. And um, and then we talk a little bit about moving to Winnipeg and um, getting out of Brandon, which, you know, becomes a theme as we get you know, closer to the end of this series. Uh, so I'm going to go right into my conversation with Stefan, and then we'll hear some more music. So here we go. We're on the Brandon podcast, and I'm really pleased to have a good friend of mine from back in the day uh, joining me today. His name is Stefan Goulet. Stefan, hello. Thank you so, so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy man, and it's a busy time in everyone's life right now. So thank you for taking the time to join me. Honored and humbled. <laughs> um, so I just kind of wanted to have a free-flowing conversation about uh, your memories of Brandon. Um, you know, the sort of theme of this record that's come out is me going to Brandon um, and sort of discovering all these amazing people and the subcultures that really uh, shaped my life. Um, you know, I was kind of an average guy doing not much of anything in Winnipeg and I moved to Brandon and all my friends skateboarded and they got into this weird music and I came along with it and it really changed who I was and um, you know you are one of those people who I met uh, you know we're talking about 87 88 89 and uh, definitely were a huge huge influence on me and my friends um, so let's start there what do you remember about you know mid 80s in Brandon and being into the skateboard scene just in, you know, and I'll get into more specific questions, but anything you have off the top of your head. So I lived in Minnedosa before I lived in Brandon. So I had a, uh, an outsider perspective of it at first where I'd grown up living in Swan River. Then I moved to Brandon or sorry, Swan River, Minnedosa, then Brandon. So at the time I had, uh, you know, aspiring hockey moments, I'd call them, and definitely remember the 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 sporting rivalry between Brandon. So Brandon, I think, mostly represented like going to the city and uh, playing hockey. Yeah. 
But growing up in Minnedosa, a block and a half away from my house, in what would have been 1984 or 1985, similar to you moving from Winnipeg to Brandon, this family moved from Vancouver to Minnedosa. And wow. they built about a nine foot by 16 foot ramp in their backyard almost instantly. A half pipe. Yeah. And they had a Lester and they had Rector pads. And this was sort of my my earliest kind of definitive memory of of the skateboard culture and I mentioned it in Minnedosa because it didn't when I went to Brandon it wasn't there yet like these guys had come from the future and the future hadn't come anywhere near so we were really into BMX and the the first clear skateboard memory I have would either be a, a launch ramp out in Green Acres yeah. or a mini ramp behind the sportsplex. I remember the, well, I remember like there being a launch ramp out in Green Acres and those guys meeting, someone someone saying you guys got to go out to see these guys out in at Green Acres and it was Kenny and Pete and those guys because they all went to like Harrison Junior High and so we met those guys and then at some point we had had enough of like Cops kicking us out of places, you know, we'd go down to the Brandon Gallery when it was in the wintertime, get kicked out of there because that was the only place to skate. And at some point you'd said we'd had enough, we all got to go to City Hall. And we skateboarded at City Hall until someone came out and agreed to meet with us. Do you remember this? I don't remember that at all. <laughs> so what happened was, and I don't know the exact year, but at some point, you were part of the, the process of let's all, you know, spread the word. Every skateboarder in town, anybody who can grab a skateboard, come to City Hall. We're going to skate at City Hall. Someone came out and said, okay, who, who do we got to talk to here? And, made, and you got a meeting with City Hall and the ability to talk to the council. And then at a, at a later date, so this is sort of like a skate-in, a sit-in thing. And this must have been early because this is what led to the, the sportsplex that ramp in the sportsplex was a result of them saying, okay, you guys need a place to skate. You've got nowhere to go. Like you say, you're getting tickets or you're, we're getting threatened with tickets by some bylaw van. So this is what we'll give you. And they gave us this area behind the sportsplex with this shitty pavement. Someone came along and put up a quarter pipe, I think. Maybe someone else brought a little ramp and a curb and that was our spot. And everyone had to take the bus up to Kirkcaldy. You remember remembering this? So would that have been before the first indoor? I think it's about the, in parallel with the first indoor. I think the first indoor, and I want to talk to you about that because that was, that must have been grade, my grade nine or something. So probably around 88 where it was like, there was a, there was a warehouse on 26th street. That was our first indoor skate park. And it was basically a co-op situation. It was a not for profit thing. It was 40 people at $20 it was or some... $20 for 40 people. But that's what I was going to ask you. I know it was, it was $800. It was $800 a month yeah. and it was like chip in. We all had to get it. We all there had to were keys. Yeah. 
There was a drink machine that made reasonably good money. It, I remember signing a lease. I was probably 16. We stole all the wood and we came up with $800 a month for a few months and it was an authentic clubhouse. It was pretty special for that little window of time. It also convinced us of the chance of bigger and brighter things, I guess. I have a couple distinct memories and I'll try to rattle them off really quickly. I have a photo of myself doing a rail slide there in a misfit shirt yeah. and it's truly one of my if I could have one photo it's definitely up there that I have it and uh, I you know I think facilitator is the hopefully the common goal like you know default spokesperson like city hall like don't remember a lot of that but um i think it just came from a a a sense of community super early on that i never really saw in organized sport maybe or you know you mentioned the word misfits or anything like that but uh I remember sitting at my parents' dining room table with the landlord with a stack of money on the table and the landlord kept reaching his hand over the table to try to grab the money. And my dad basically explained that um, he'd made a, a legal contract with a minor that didn't mean anything and he wasn't going to get his money and he should leave. Wow. And it was the first clear memory of my dad being like wow that was cool he did that so this was when it was time to get out of the yeah this was a settle up this was your kind of airbnb post settle up moment and and that's when my dad was like you know he's 16 like this doesn't count yeah like here's 500 bucks bounce like in you know your dad kind of vernacular that's what he did and i was like whoa that was pretty cool because it only lasted i think one winter if yeah. that right and then we were yeah and it was you know it i happened to be the guy that you know it's your buddy who rents the hotel room you know but i think you know you happen to be the guy but it seems like you happen to be the guy a fair amount in that you were always organizing things to have happen and we can get into some of that but you know like the scene needed somebody to make things happen and that ended up being you Okay, so I'm going to have some more of my conversation with Stefan shortly, but we want to get into some music now. Here is a track from the Big Mac and Roll Brandon album. This is track eight. This is called 89 Alternative Kids. So this is a little bit about meeting these older kids when I was in junior high who were trading tapes and introducing me to music. And so Stefan would be one of these people who... Um, you know, we sort of looked up to and got a lot of information about new music from. So let's check this out. This is 89 Alternative Kids from the Big Mac and Roe Brandon album. Try learning 
learning to drive in a town with no stoplights Or learning to fly with no place to take flight Another Friday night without a destination Getting wasted ain't right for my generation To those rocking the Grand Club Beach or Grand Beach Club Just another clone who totals mom's V-dub Count down the minutes till you be drunk I skipped the invitation so you calling me a street punk What to do for an alt kid vaulted into social circles Exiled or exalted the cool kids of the freak scene Keep clean hanging with the college crowd though I'm barely 16 Simply rocking docks and Smith's tees Hanging at the record shop till they lock and kick me out Closing time and I'm dimeless Walking down Victoria Enjoy the silence Present day Look back with fondness Forget about uncertainty Phonies and loneliness Misfit, outcast and all the rest So blessed at last I found some friends like a king at R.D. Ramsey or Westman GM dealer in King Spud Country, Carberry. The scene was cool, and I was speaking to somebody on my way here about this. Why Brandon? And um, I think two th- there were there's three things that at least stood out to me. Shiloh, the University of Brandon's music connection, mm-hmm. and New Era. Because those were weird, like... You know, you listen to the Beastie Boys in their story talk about like these little islands of culture that they kind of sifted through or whatever. And like a French immersion school in Brandon and like you guys were like aliens. Yeah, we were. In a good, but like there were enough forward thinking people, like the obvious is they're all in French immersion because they're French. Yeah. But none of you were. No. But somebody somewhere in your life said, hey, it'd be cool if my kid spoke French. And I think that, combined with the army brat element of Shiloh, mixed in with people that moved to the city through the university or music, kind of... like Because Brandon's a renowned university for music, question mark? I believe it is, yeah. Yeah. Or I was always led to believe yeah, that it was certainly its... is, uh, is up there. So I think, you know, the likelihood that somebody whose mom plays cello professionally might have been into the violent femmes was, right. you know, so those were the three kind of outside sources that I thought or just cultural halos that sort of spun around in there. And then skateboarding came along and, you know, we, uh, Music for sure, because you were passing things around. Yeah. Like, like I remember going to that launch ramp in Green Acres 
with the pure intention to get four more tapes to go dub to bring back. Right. And I clearly remember like leaving with, you know, people throw the word seminal music around, but, uh, you know, there was one guy who had a really good tape collection. He just had real tapes. Yeah. They weren't dubbed. So you could take, and I remember getting Dead Kennedy's tapes and... On a side note, go down a wormhole of trying to find out as much about the Metallica show I saw at the Keystone Center in Brandon <laughs> yeah. in 1987 yeah. at the Keystone Center. And I found the article in the Brandon Sun that describes a disappointing turnout of 400 fans explaining that this music will never catch on was sort of the that is actually something that i don't think i even knew about until recently that and that may have been certainly you know i just moved there in the summer of 87 so even even if it happened in like october of 87 it wasn't going to be on my radar but it's so insane to think now that metallica played the keystone center and so you were there yeah and uh it was 400 people in a 5,000-seat arena. It was in the big arena, not was, in the small room downstairs. There were maybe 50 of us on the floor walking <laughs> around. And, um, yeah, the show was... I, I clearly remember Pete um, openly bantering with the band. It, you know, it was, it was like a poorly attended gig. There were, like... You know, you had 25 feet between everybody. It was just a sparsely yeah. spread out floor crowd. And uh, yeah, it was Metallica. It was, it was so crazy. Like music for sure was a, a real, um, not a commodity, but like a, it was a good gesture to share. Oh like, yeah. I remember meeting people and asking to borrow their tapes the day I met them. Yeah. You know? As you being the big brother kind of thing, you would always put us on to music and you would always share. It would be like, you know, I remember you getting Dinosaur Jr. Bug and I don't know where you got it. You might have got it. You might I think you might have got it used in Brandon. It was some strange So, yeah, that's thing. like a real odd story. I bought it at, I, you know, if I was a really great artist, I wouldn't draw downtown Brandon to scale very well because I remember certain parts of it. And, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I remember buying it at the People's Marketplace. And I had just bought a CD player and I wanted a CD. I just wanted any CD. And I went, I remember because it was near... Yeah, I, I can clearly remember going in and there were like eight CDs and I just bought it because it was on SST. I didn't know it was Dinosaur Jr. Or I didn't know it was the music from 
speed at freaks. the time, which was Speed Freaks. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just uh, dumb luck that I like. Yeah, that that for sure is of of the moments that I've like picked out one thing randomly somewhere that sticks with you the whole way through. That one's uh, finding out who bought the original copy and then decided to take it to the people's marketplace would be a a worthy story in itself i think who yeah. did that yeah like it it just it there, there's so much to unpack there like <laughs> i yeah Music, and I mentioned music because one thing I remember about that warehouse is the idea of being able to listen to our music yes. really loud. Yes. And that was like the first, this is ours. Like right. this isn't theirs. This is like, and I think for sure that was a theme that carried on. Like just keep making things that are ours. And yeah, that was like a, a, you know, yeah, there's just something really memorable about like people playing their music there and like every endeavor or space or thing that I've been around, moments that are memorable, I think always end up being like just a time in a space listening to something in particular really loud or as far as the organizing, and we can, I want to get into Spine and Grind, but do you remember before Spine and Grind any efforts to bring either bands or or um, skaters to Brandon for a demo? Because I believe that um, uh, Tyler, Tyler reminded me about a wheelies night where we were actually skateboarding at wheelies. And I don't know where that falls into the timeline at all but i know that there was a demo there where steve harnish came out and stuff do you remember anything about trying to get people to come out in the value of seeing you know pros or better skateboarders in brandon and how much how how stoked we were do you remember anything about that so there was this like move where a shop would get someone else to be a reseller as it were or a local um yeah like you were connected with a shop in the city and they would front you stuff to sell and you would sell it make a bit of money and and that was selling just out of your back of your car or something yeah but yeah somewhere in the mix we started skating at wheelies for a minute yeah and there was for sure a visit from either Steve Harnish or I have a photo of Justin Hayes at Wheelies. Yeah. Um, 
I have a really odd mixed box of photos and that one I have some black and white photos of Justin Hayes at Wheelies but um, we went to Verdon met these guys and then there was this sort of you know hustle where the shop would come to the town do a little bit of a demo and then sell stuff out of their truck right all right so i'm going to get back to more conversation with stefan in a moment but i do want to play another song from the big mac and roe brandon album uh this song is called 89 the apprentice girl one so this is the first there's a series of songs on this record about my relationship with girls and this is one the first girl that i started dating when i got into high school i went to neyland high school first girl I started dating um, you know we had a very short relationship and she broke up with me um, and so this is about that so let's check this song out this solid song is 89 the apprentice girl one What I'm seeing out of me, them is the mission. The answers aren't a given, so it's time for my tuition. And I forget how I met her exactly. She walked past me, impressions were lasting. She was older, surprised that she asked me for my number, but my game turned ghastly. I would never give her up like Rick Astley, but I'd phone her every day after dinner. Went from a loner to a lottery winner Drop in on a weekend, fully unannounced Rolling on my skateboard, making the rounds Didn't take long for my ass to get bounced The whole thing over in week two or three With the benefit of hindsight, easy to foresee Easy to be hard, she played the just friends card I'm new to dating, don't know what the trends are Didn't learn much, didn't get very far A bad combination of shy and needy Plus inexperienced, nobody to teach me I took it pretty hard, dying completely She let me off easy, called me a sweetie But I hung around her street, now I'm getting creepy Listening to odd men out and descendants Wondering if there's a way to mend fences Never been dumped before, I'm defenseless It all seemed senseless I learned a lot that fall, The Apprentice Off. Your musical headquarters is Ted Good Music, 747 10th Street in Brandon. In Brandon. In Brandon. In Brandon. It, you went to Neyland? Yeah. 
I feel that's like the last era of that type of high school ever. Yeah. Like that was, I think that was another influence in our world. Neilan, I think had yes. something to do with, it we did. were trapped between the rich kids school and the jock school. And it, it was absolutely. And you know, we, as the new era kids, we had a year where we were in new era, but we had to go to Neilan. We were there full right. time. So you were there at that time. Right. By the time I was in grade 10, I think you were gone. Yeah. Um, but if we were in grade eight or grade nine or a little bit of both right. and you were there. Um, there might have even been skateboarding around Neilan, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And uh, so so that was huge for us, too, because we had no business hanging out with high schoolers and learning about the latest skateboards or seeing the latest skateboard magazines or, you know, getting copies of tapes. So it was like, I, I mean, I famously got in trouble because I bought a, I bought, you know, a punk rock record and, um, and my mother saw the lyrics and she said, I couldn't own it anymore. So I lent it to you and you still have it. <laughs> the odd man out record? No, no. See, the odd man out record was your record that I <laughs> borrowed and melted. Right. So I owe you an odd man out record, which okay. I actually have, but... You owe me a Drunk Engines record, which okay. is a... A much harder find. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was the All same right. label. It was the yeah. same label. It was yeah. Beware Records. Yeah. Note to self. I'll, now I'll watch for your Drunk Engines record. <laughs> but um, The Odd Man Out, I did. That was my grail record, and it's not digital anywhere. So that record is special to me because there's this girl I was dating in grade 10, and then she dumped me really early on, and the soundtrack of me being dumped was... The Descendants All record and that Odd Man Out record. I just listen to them both religiously. So whenever I play those records, I'm taken back to like feeling sorry for myself being dumped by this girl. Remember Kelly's yes, for a minute? I remember Kelly's. Kelly's, I think, was that was only... a thing. That was a, that maybe was a thing. Kelly in Brandon. Yeah, because I think Sean Carruthers was ordering records at Kelly's, and so you. But the Kelly's thing ended really early. Like I moved there, and I think Kelly's closed a few months after I became aware of it. Like it was like because it was. I don't remember buying records ever anywhere else in Brandon. It was A&A Records and Tapes. Like, that's where I got... In the mall, Paul's, that, yeah. Yeah, that's where I got Paul's Boutique for $2 because no one was buying the record. The yellow cassettes. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was Kelly's, and then later there was Record Baron, but you were gone by this time. Right. But yeah, they, so Kelly's, I think that would be another, like, 
interesting like acknowledgement where all it took was one person to get their hands yep. on special orders. Yep, exactly. And also what would happen was Carruthers would buy special order and then he would turn around and sell it at the country music center if he didn't like it or whatever. So then someone else would wander into the country music center downtown and get the weirdest stuff in the used vinyl bin, you know, and so that would happen. And the other thing is the country music center would order weird tapes. Like I got Pixies singles at the country music center, just where on was, cassette. Where was country it was music on, center? It was on 10th street between Rosser and Princess. It like was near on, Curly McCann's. It was Sons? just up the street from Curly McCann's Sons. What do you remember about the curbs on that street? Well, I remember the back lane had that had like a little. There's a little yeah, area where you like would. That's like the first spot for that sure. was like where yeah. you would watch. You would watch Future Primitive and you'd yeah. watch Tommy That's so Guerrero crazy. doing yeah. his thing in San Francisco. And our version yeah. of that was <laughs> one block with just a couple of little side ramps and curbs that you would skate down the street. Yeah. Sure. And so let's talk about Spine and Grind. What can you tell me about, you know, I remembered hearing that it was coming and that it was something you're working on and you're putting together people to work there, things like that. But what can you tell me about how that came about? So I wasn't out of high school because my parents moved to Winnipeg. Yeah. And I stayed behind to open the park. Okay. And that was a real... Right. You know, do I want to move to Winnipeg with my parents? Or yeah. do I want to stay behind and open this skate park? I remember... I remember building a balsa version of what we wanted to build. Okay. And it was right at that kind of peak of like chin ramp and like ramps inside of ramps and right. uh but rob this guy that i had sort of been you know pursuing this idea with and myself had met up with um this family that wanted to open a skate park and he ran the sportsplex at the time i think it yes. was and uh so we met them, they were interested in doing this. We built this balsa um, scale model of this insane ramp structure and we ordered Thrasher ramp plans and I built one ramp ever and we built this insane giant. I think it's important to pause and just sort of recognize that like at some point, their idea and our idea probably separated where, you know, I've made business plans. I've been around things where you're trying to predict revenue. And the lesson is if the math doesn't work, just believe it. And I think at that time, I remember filling out things and saying, yeah, there's gonna be like 35 kids on a Tuesday night up here skateboarding. and. It, you know, they were ambitious goals for sure, but um, we didn't know any better. It, sure, yeah, like who knows, maybe. So, and, and that was, you know, we, we, or go ahead. Well, the so the deal you made with them was they were going to finance it and they would own it and you would, were you a partner? Did you throw money in? No partner, no money. I, 
we were both getting paid to build it and run it. And it was, I remember it was like good full-time money, but like we live there. And, um, you know, I look back on like what we brought to it as far as like connecting people and community and culture and like bringing people from Regina and connecting people from Winnipeg. Um, we went from wanting to build something that was this to like Canada's biggest. Right. Like, you know, it was 10,000 square feet. It was just bonkers. Yeah. You know, it made no sense. Because it was, if if I recall right, there wasn't a skate park that big in Winnipeg. In, in Winnipeg. There was, it was arguably the biggest indoor skate park in Canada at that time. There was nothing even close. Right. Like it was just, it was either, I think it was 10 or 12,000 square feet. Right. It was massive. Yeah. I'd imagine you were, you were, we would you just. You doing your opening weekend, I believe. Yeah. And we you were bringing in, I think it was Jeff Hartzell and. Well, that's, jo- that's an interesting story because. I had like, I, yeah, I wish I could remember more of the specifics, but, um, calling world industries, booking a demo, the original demo was supposed to be Gons and Lee. Yeah. And then world flipped it to Hartzell and Martinez. Right. So, you know, not quite the star Not power. quite. I, I mean, it, it just was so Brandon. Yeah. That Gretzky and Lemieux didn't come and it's funny you say like the first demo of Jeff Hartzell and Jesse Martinez it being that's so Brandon that it wasn't Gons and Jason Lee, but none of us had seen this caliber of skater before, ever, with our naked eye. We we'd we'd watch the videotapes, the heavily edited videotapes, you know, until they were unplayable. But, you know, we you know, my generation had not seen anything like this so we, it was all it was perfect we they we were huge fans of theirs right off i think we sold you must have sold a lot of their boards like just because none of us had seen anything like this and how impressionable that was and then and then obviously better you know better skaters later but there's nothing like your first band your first <laughs> your first skate demo i mean i've told story like you know i have a couple distinct memories of that um Jesse Martinez at a l- breakfast at the Victoria Inn, and I remember him basically holding court at breakfast, and he explained that he wanted to be a cop so he could get even. <laughs> and this was just such a foreign, like I remember, like I couldn't even like grasp that, you wow. know, like what is that even like? Yeah, right. Like. Because he's from L.A. or something. We were just so safe and, yeah. like, just the idea of, like... Police brutality. Being or... scared of a cop and then adding that layer of, like, wanting revenge. And, yeah. uh, but, like, you know...
you know, a sad but a very distinct memory is the night um, Imra and three other people who were driving from Regina to come to the Caballero demo yeah. passed away and uh, waiting for them to show up that night at the park and they just never showed up and that was like a, you know, for sure a, a somber. Yes, I remember that. I, uh, I've had the chance to reconnect with Caballero a couple times through work and um, we spoke about it and he, he, he clearly remembered it as like, yeah, that was like a really heavy thing to be around. But um, we, uh, I remember the next night and this was the beginning of meeting Jai and all the people that kind of, I guess, led me away from Brandon. Yeah, pulled you away. Um, they started coming out to the park. Um, Chris Steggles and Chris Arson and Carl Funk. Like, Winnipeg people would just come and help build the park. Yeah. And we didn't really know what we were doing. So we had these Thrasher ramp plans and they'd built ramps. So they kind of, and they were kind of, you know, they were, I've met so many people who I didn't know that came there, that came there, but, um, and that's when we started, I think that, you know, seeing a little bit more of that, like big city alternative music, punk rock music, whatever. Um, and Regina was coming on the regular too. So we had like two pretty like, predominant kind of skateboard punk rock scenes that were like strangely meeting in the middle in Brandon. Yeah. And so what about speaking of bands, um, bringing bands to spine and grind? What do you remember about? Cause that's the other thing is, is for me seeing, um, seeing these skateboarders live for the first time was insane, but also seeing live punk rock, was insane for me because my only live experience had been like who's playing at the fair or i went to see the beach boys at the keystone center which was better attended than metallica go figure but uh you know and and i remember seeing either hoover effect or red fisher or both so both um it would have been through jai and harry and that you know because at this point john stewart from red fisher uh, this guy named Jamie Wilson, Harry Chan, and uh, Jai were all coming like every weekend almost. Like it was just constant that there were people coming to Brandon. And at one point, I think somebody explained it was like Hoover Effect should play. So we just put them up on the ramp and they played. And that was like, it didn't didn't seem super foreign but i think it it was and i think but one thing i for sure remember is it was the first time people who didn't skateboard came right and that was a thing and that was a turning point i think like it was like oh wait this is more there's more to this culture than skateboarding yeah and there's different ways people can be in the mix, you know? So whether it was 
people that took music photos, whether it was um, people that like punk rock music. I mean, again, at the time it was like misfits, weirdos, like, you know, a couple army bats from Surrey or from Shiloh route. Like, yeah, it was just a hodgepodge of weirdos. That's what it was. Yeah. That's the whole scene was like, like you say, there was army brats who were too cool for, you know, the mainstream of Brandon, which was just bad music and, uh, and hockey hair and all that kind of stuff. And there was all of us who were a real mixture of ages and, and, you know, and all kinds of things, you know, BMXers, skateboarders, punk rockers. Okay, so I'm going to wrap it up with Stefan shortly. I want to play one more song from the Brandon album, um, the third song that we'll play today. And this song is called 89 Brandon After Dark. So this is kind of about a being bored um, on a hot summer night in Brandon, with nowhere to go and nothing to do. So again, we're... I'm an outcast. My friends are outcasts. We don't go to clubs. We don't go to the house parties that the cool kids go to. We're not even, um, you know, we're just kind of hanging out, looking for something to do. And so this is just sort of being bored in Brandon late at night with not much going on. So check this out. This is called 89 Brandon After Dark. Streetlights change. Me and my friends out for pancakes at 2 a.m. No drugs, no booze, no master plan. We head through the city, searching every back alley. Like hanging in the dark at Current Park. The nonconformist in its early forming, exploring. Yes, I question my existence, I do it by committee Yes, I'm learning who I am in the
All right, that's at 89, Brandon After Dark. And um, that's kind of about being bored on a, on a hot summer night in Brandon, Manitoba. Um, now, I, you know, my conversation with uh, Stefan, we talk a lot about, you know, some of the opportunities he was able to create for skateboarders in Brandon. Just to be clear, he was able to, um, you know, he opened up first what we called the warehouse which was this sort of low budget skateboard place that we could go during the winter when we couldn't skate anywhere and then later he was heavily involved with spine and grind opening a you know world-class skate park in in a really small town and it brought in people from regina and brought in people from winnipeg so we're really fortunate you know growing up that we had someone who was willing to kind of stick their neck out and organize and make things happen for us um, you know, that's that's a, a key part of uh, making a scene happen and making something vibrant happen. So, you know, just to be clear, you know, listening to this podcast, uh, Stefan and his partners were able to bring uh, world-class skateboarders to Brandon, Manitoba, including Steve Cavallero, Natas Kobus, Julian Stranger, um, you know, some big names that are still kind of relevant. And, um, you know, they were in Brandon skateboarding for us um for us kids so it was amazing time so we get into kind of getting pulled away from brandon now with stefan to kind of wrap it up so here we go so the skate park so the skate park lasted i'm trying to think like a year maybe i don't think it made a year i think it yeah it it i i'm gonna say six months so and right around the time that you would have moved to Winnipeg and and uh, bought 50% of Skate. Yeah. Around that same time. So what do you remember? Like, obviously, you remember clearly Jai saying, I want a new partner. I need a new... I remember him. I remember you telling me this, that this was something on the table and that you were considering it. I, I remember that a little bit. But um, so was that sort of like... The last thing that made the skate park collapse did it continue after you left it was just timing really yeah i wasn't looking to leave it's just at the time when chris decided he was no longer going to be involved with the shop and i had been spending so much time in winnipeg and like just and i i think if i really want to be honest with myself I didn't want to run a skate park. I wanted to run a skate shop. Yeah. When I moved to Winnipeg and got involved with skate, I kind of got injected into a scene that was already up and running. Yeah. And I was really fortunate there. Like I, I can't thank Jai and like that just serendipitous opportunity to just kind of leap from where I was to go somewhere else that was going in that like-minded direction but my next memory uh, related to music you and skateboarding was I think you had moved to Winnipeg and I got my license so by the, now I'm 16 and Tyler and I come out to Winnipeg and you're super accommodating you like take us to all the skate spots and then you sneak us into the Albert and we see Gorilla Gorilla and Red Fisher and we're you know, I'm 16, Tyler's 15. You get us into the Albert through like some fire escape or some shit upstairs, get us down into the room and just, we just have like the most amazing night and weekend, um, which you won't remember by this time because now you're in the Winnipeg scene. But 
you know coming in as an outsider to get your toe in the water is yeah yeah another mind-blowing but like that you know if you're gonna have a an ideal moment that's pretty close to ideal right yeah. there you know like if if you wanted to snip a sampling of when it was great yeah exactly and going back and telling all our friends about this amazing we saw this we saw that we got snuck in we're only 16 you know the whole bit but also the fact that you know i look back and say like you went to winnipeg but you still had time for your brandon homies you know you you picked up the we'd call you or whatever say we're coming or whoever however it worked out you made time for us you know even though you were busy with your new endeavors in winnipeg so that meant a lot to us i i mean the 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 love and respect was mutual you know like i I learned a lot from you guys in everything, like, again, that, like, you know, new era kind of gang, as it were, all the hip hop I knew about, a different aesthetic, um, what would now be called streetwear, Yeah. basically, is what you guys wore. Yeah. Um, and... I think that was yeah it you you guys always brought a fresh approach but not in a entitled or righteous way just like uh i wonder what this would look like with this I, like from a a fashion take like for some reason i always remember you and tyler being very innovative aesthetically yeah well, and, that was mostly tyler and me copying him but he but like there's a, a there's a photo of that you used at the park with that stussy shirt yeah and and like you know that that's it don't. It's a new thing, check out this, I bring all the rope below the level cause I'm living low next to the base. Come on! Turn up the radio, they're claiming I'm a criminal, but now I wonder how, some people never know. The enemy could be the friend guardian, I'm not a hooligan, I rock the party and clear all the madness, I'm not a racist, preach the teacher, oh. cause some they never had this. Number one, never wanna run about the gun, I wasn't licensed to have one. The minute they see me, fear me, I'm the epitome, a public enemy, used, abused, without clues, I refuse to blow a fuse, they even had it on the news. I'm not doing this for the self-promotion of me, I want to be around things that deserve to be promoted, so I can be a promoter of it, you know, like, just proud parent shit you know and, and that's the thing that i wanted that's why i was really excited to have you on is because you know just i mean one this record's about me and your influence on me as someone who made shit happen is just can't be understated it's like watching being able to go to a skate park in brandon manitoba seeing these amazing skateboarders getting introduced not only you know in a general sense to all this cool stuff but directly like you giving me copies of great music and great things and you know showing me style 
is just like can't be understated how how big that was and then to continue on in winnipeg like you moved to winnipeg in 89 i moved in 92 i lived on corridon avenue right down from skate i'd come down all the time it was like you know i was there all the time i started this rap group called farm fresh you guys were like the first people to move to sell the tapes for us you sold a lot of tapes for us you made our sweatshirts like you'd just been somebody and I, I, you know, there's me and there's probably a hundred other people who've got like, either they skateboarded on your, they were on your team or they were a band that you did something with, but it's like, you need your flowers, man, because it's, you know, it's, you did, you did a lot of cool shit for a lot of people that I think, uh, you know, would appreciate it. And that's why I wanted to, to have you on is to, you know, like having having someone who's older than you making these things happen for you makes you who you are and I, you know it's like when when mca passed away i was like I, if mca did, didn't start the beastie boys i don't know if i'd be who i was and therefore with my wife and you could certainly say more directly like if stephen goulet wasn't in brandon manitoba or if tyler sneesby wasn't in brandon manitoba i'm not the person i am today and i'm not with my wife and my kids aren't my kids and you know what i mean like for sure there's no question there's not very many people you could say that about but you're one of those people for sure i mean as a loudmouth, i'm not often left without much to say but um yeah just thankful for the friendship and uh yeah just proud to call you a friend and super happy to be here today oh thank you so much that's amazing all right, thank you so much, Stefan Goulet, for joining me for the episode. That is episode three of the Big McEnroe Brandon podcast, three of seven. So we got four more great episodes to go coming up. Hey, if you didn't know, then a new single just dropped from the album. It's called 89 Big Green Limousine. And you can check it out on Spotify, on iTunes, on Apple Music, all that stuff. It should be out when you as, as you hear this. It's also up on Bandcamp. And um, so, yeah, thanks for listening and supporting and be sure to share uh what we're doing here with uh if you like it then share it around and let's uh let's get it all happening so thanks again for listening thanks to UGS Mag for hosting and again thanks to Stefan Goulet for joining me check you out in two weeks good night